it might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the- I'm bored. Wait! Welcome back to Horror Queers. It's our whenever we feel like doing it micro queers. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And uh, yeah, yeah, we, we are now returning to our micro queers where we just discuss a new queer film that we are not discussing on the Patreon because we want to promote queer horror. Indeed, yeah. And this is a new release that's now available on Hulu. And it's the kind of film that I'm not sure we would dedicate an entire episode to. So a micro queers format feels particularly apt. Yeah, absolutely. And the film in question is Kelly Callie's uh, Jagged Mind, starring Maisie Richardson Sellers, uh, a favorite of mine from her time on Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, okay. And Shannon Woodward, also a favorite of mine. Um, I don't know if you ever watched the show back in the day because this was a writer strike of 2007 victim joe but um, oh, okay it was the fx show the riches with eddie izzard and Minnie driver oh i know about it but never really got around to watching it this and dirt were like two shows Ooh. that i really wanted to kind of get my head into and it just never really happened so okay <laughs> <laughs> detour detour tangent immediate Here we go. tangent really quick but i just want to say yes yeah. so, so th that period of time was like it was like the post nip tuck and the shield where fx was really mm -hmm. really 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 being edgy right Dirt is not a good show, but I would argue that it's still really fun to watch because it's so fucking trashy. Yes. The Riches is genuinely good, but I'm um, Shannon Wilbur played the daughter in this show. This is about a family of, um, who I don't want to say. They're grifters, right? Grifters. There we go. Okay. I was about to use a bad G word. I think it's Romany, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I don't think that's actually what they are. Nevertheless, right. um, they actually <laughs> kill a really rich white family uh, with the last name Rich and um, take over their lives. They steal their identities and take their lives over. And that's the whole show. But um, okay. Shannon Wilbert is also Katy Perry's best friend. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the more you know. Well, uh, that's not exactly what we're talking about today. So no. we are talking about Jagged Mine. And this is an interesting one, Trace. So this was on our radar because I mentioned this when we were talking about our most anticipated films for our YouTube series. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, at the time, there was no trailer. We barely had a log line. But it's essentially about a girl who finds herself caught in this kind of web where she doesn't really know what's real anymore. And she thinks it's associated with her new girlfriend and that seemed tantalizing and interesting but we were both a little worried that it was going to be the usual oh is she crazy or not and i feel like one of the reasons i wanted to have a conversation with you about this mm -hmm. is because it's immediately clear that it's not like it's revealed yeah. very early on oh yeah no the girlfriend is doing this to her yeah this is 100 percent a time loop movie and that is not mm -hmm. i would argue that's not a spoiler to even say that but no. um because it's made pretty obvious that that is what's happening it just takes a little while to realize oh no like uh, yeah new girlfriend is 100 percent the villain of this film <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i think it's one of the smartest things that screenwriter allison morgan does with the film because this would have been very easy to have drawn it out you know oh she's having hallucinations is it the girlfriend is it mental illness is it something else and instead the movie makes it clear by the end of the first act maybe even earlier than that 
not only is something really weird going on, but we're pretty sure it's the girlfriend. And then it becomes a question of why and how. Yes. And so that is the aspect I appreciate the most. However, I will say that where this film loses me is that I do feel like it gets really repetitive. Right. Because we know this stuff so early. And so again, I'm of two minds. You know, I like that the film doesn't like like yank us around like by, by the dick, like waiting for <laughs> us to like figure this out. It's like, no, 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 this is what we're doing. We're not doing what you think we're doing. Right. But the problem is then, yeah, for those next two acts, I'm kind of like, oh, this... It's just kind of the same thing over and over, which I get that's kind of the hazard of a time loop narrative. Mm -hmm. But it, it didn't really hold my attention all the way through to the end. Right. I can definitely see that. I also found my attention wandering a little bit. Where I ended up getting reinvested in the film is as we move into the last act, mm -hmm. there's a kind of ominous statement of, okay, here's how you can break this chain, right? You need to get this crystal that's on her locket, and you need to perform this kind of ceremonial chant. And if you do that, you should be able to move us back to before any of this happens. So in a way, it's a bit of an, this is all a dream narrative, but... Then uh, this one character, Rose Porter, says, but if you can do that, then you need to give me the crystal because you will not be able to handle its power. And I was like, oh, so this is going to become a will she actually give it back when she is inevitably successful? And if not, what are the consequences? Well, and unfortunately, she can't even give it back to Rose because Rose is dead. Oh, actually, I guess. Oh, well, no, no she, she resets it so Rose is alive at the end. Yes, everything is undone. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> everything is undone by the end of this film. Indeed. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, what do you think about these two lead performances, though, right? Maisie Richardson Sellers and Shannon Woodward. Okay, so our main character is Billy. She works in an art gallery. She has a difficult relationship with her boss, Christine, mm -hmm. who she has a tendency to fuck but it's a toxic thing <laughs> she has a tendency to fuck of course there's an enormous backstory with this where we learn eventually that this is the woman that uh billy cheated on alex yes. uh, shannon wilbert's character with in a previous timeline mm-hmm yeah i'll say timeline it's fine <laughs> basically billy can control herself around christine and i think it, there's an uncomfortableness to this too because i get the impression that christine is actually her boss at the yes. gallery mm -hmm. so you're just like oh no this is a boss employee relationship it should not be happening so we we know that christine is bad news but i i like billy as a heroine because she's a little bit messy she's trying yeah. to figure her shit out she's not lucky in love and then all of a sudden she meets this white girl and the white girl is very interested in her and they have like good chemistry and the sex seems pretty good so you know i like that it's a little bit of a white devil narrative where you're just like <laughs> billy you should not be dating this perfect partner in alex but also i do like that billy herself isn't perfect either yeah but also alex really unravels as the movie goes on Ooh, like it's boy she is fucking wild her, her mood swings are just like oh my god although i will say i did <laughs> the one part when the kid falls over and won't stop crying i love that we get in that one but two flashbacks to this kid mm -hmm. falling near her and her cussing this kid out <laughs> oh indeed yeah alex uh basically has no patience for anybody and maybe it's because by this point i mean she could have done this 20 
50 70 times like we really don't know how many times alex has reset the timeline although as you mentioned yeah we get sort of flashes or glimpses of it as the film progresses but yeah uh alex very clearly hates billy's friend kim who is played by kate sakelli and she has this child who is you know it it's a little boy, right? He's going to make messes. He's a bit of a brat, but in the ways that kids are. But I love that, yeah, you know, the minute this kid gets his dirty hands on Alex's dress, she is cussing this fucking child out. <laughs> uh, but if you're right, though, we don't exactly know how many times Alex has done this to Billy. But we do learn that, like, so because she she uses this power at every minute Oh my god, up, every so, you know. fucking time this woman needs to go to counseling like couples counseling and say, how do we work out our problems rather than reset the timeline? <laughs> but but okay, but it's not just that because she's also clearly made it like all the way to the proposal stage so many times. times before and then had to reset it all the way back to the beginning. And it's oh like, god. this sounds really like a lot of work for one girl. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. If anything, I kind of wish that we could spend a bit more time in the climax of this film when Alex knows that Billy knows and all the cards are on the table. Because, yeah, we just get the suggestion that this has happened at least a couple of times because she's, you know, clearly killed her in the pool because that's one of the hallucination flashbacks that Billy is having. But I wish that she would talk about, you know, why are you putting in all of this effort? Like she's Alex has tried this before with Rose, the woman who tries to warn Billy and who is ultimately killed by Alex in about the middle stretch of the film. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I never fully understand why Alex becomes so psychotically attached to a particular person. Like, what is it about Billy that she is so desperate to make it work as opposed to just saying... I don't need to keep doing this. I should find someone else. Yeah, I I agree. And that's kind of where the film falls short for me. Like, Alex very much is kind of a one-dimensional character. Um, Right. She's just the villain. Yeah, if I'm being generous, two-dimensional. But, but like, and that's where a lot of this to me feels like what what almost might be a really good 30-minute episode of Tales from the Crypt. Okay. But... We have this, what's essentially a 77-minute movie, and I don't really think it utilizes all of it. I needed this to be about 15 minutes longer to flesh out some of Alex's motives, as opposed to just making her the um, the obsessed lesbian character. Right. Uh, and, and, or make it a, shor- a, short, uh, a short film of sorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or even take out some of that repetition and have those missing 15 minutes where we actually get to spend a bit more time with the characters because the opening of the film makes it pretty clear that we are resetting the timeline like it's important to introduce this as a narrative conceit because that's what the whole film is kind of built on and i think it works initially to grab our attention as an audience but it also means that we never really get a sense of what alex and billy's normal relationship is like i mean Alex is gaslighting her the entire fucking time, and we know this, but we never get to see the kind of non-psycho parts of their relationship, so we don't understand why they like each other. I'm curious, too, did you find this to be a plot contrivance? Because the whole, the the rumor that we get is that Alex was Rose's girlfriend, and Rose was using the power on her. Her and then yes. after they break up, Alex stole the the, the crystal mm-hmm. and moved over to Billy. And I don't. It just seems a little irresponsible to move to someone so close to home. 
<laughs> Maybe. I mean, what's your range when you're looking for a partner? It's like, well, we got to stay in Miami because, you know, I really love the beaches and I don't like to travel that much. See, it, it, it just seemed like, oh, we need this in the script so that we can have someone explain to Billy what's going on. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised to learn that it is Rose who kind of initiated this process. So mm-hmm. so Rose is played by Chien Montpremier. And we learn... I didn't to call this a kind of hoodoo, Haitian yeah. sort of. There's that vibe there, but I'm not sure about the racial components. Like, it didn't feel icky, but I did, I did want to know if this was a grounded in something real. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know enough about it to say if this is offensive or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, thankfully, we are telling a story with black women and a story sure. about Haitian uh, 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 magic, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, honestly, the, the, uh, that's another failing too. Though Rose is also really not a character; she exists solely to provide exposition in this film. Indeed, yeah, and I wonder if that would have been another opportunity to kind of flesh out some of the characters beyond just the plot machinations. Exactly, and that's where that seventy-seven minute runtime kind of is is a uh, is not a good thing for this film. Hmm. Yeah, it's a solid idea. It's just that in some of the ways the execution doesn't quite work. I think the two lead actresses make this watchable, so I'm not inherently bored. But then when the movie ends, I was kind of like, oh, it felt both long and short, and I'm left a little unsatisfied in some regards. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. To the point where with the ending, it's it's not really a gotcha ending, but it's like, oh, okay, so she's going to be overtaken mm-hmm. with the power again. So it's not exactly what I would call a happy ending. No. I was also a little confused, too, with the rules of the film, because Rose says, you know, oh, if, if you keep having this done to you, you will die. Right. And at one point, Billy ends up in the hospital because the resetting of the timeline is really fucking up her brain. Yes. My question is, though, it doesn't seem to affect the person casting the spell. No, no. Which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, but whatever, it's magic rules. Yeah, I guess it's because the magic is focused on resetting that person's timeline. Or maybe if you're wearing the crystal, it protects you from oh, being maybe. mentally unmoored. Yeah, may- maybe. But the film doesn't make it clear. Again, it's a little nitpick, but it's sure. something that I was kind of like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. So one last thing before we sort of start to wrap this up. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to talk about what I think is one of the better parts of the film, which is the way that the hallucination slash reveal that this is actually time being mm-hmm. played with. I really liked the way that it's captured. It's enough to make you think that it could be a dream sequence or a hallucination, but it has a kind of energy that helps to feel very jarring. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Like, just from a visual standpoint, uh, I think it, I think it's all quite well done for what I'm assuming is a relatively low-budget production. Indeed, yeah, because I don't know that Hulu... Well, it's never clear to me if Hulu is buying these movies or commissioning them in that, right. you know... It's sort of like the Netflix model, right? Are you buying it or did you ask for it to be made? But these are, I gather, films that are a little bit smaller and then they're showcase opportunities for the writers and directors to make the jump into potentially some bigger name projects. (laughs) Are you ready for uh, something that's going to blow your mind because we clearly didn't do a research on this? What's that? This film is based on writer Alison Morgan's short film First Date, which aired as part of season one of the Hulu series Bite Size Halloween, which is a collection of horror shorts. Okay. 
I did know that they were using that as a kind of like a, a lab or a, a workshop model to, mm-hmm. I was going to say groom future directors, but I guess, uh, <laughs> foster, foster, foster <laughs> development. There we go. There we go. No, um, but so, so, but it's interesting. So I would like to go back and now watch that short film to see mm. how it plays, because I can almost guarantee you that this is probably going to be better as a short film. Interesting. You know what? Challenge accepted, because that's the other part that we do with microqueers is we're still interested in those queer horror shorts. So mm-hmm. maybe if we can track this down, we can do a little compare and contrast in the future. Yeah, I am totally down for that. But yeah, so uh, I guess, yeah, that is going to wrap up our discussion on Jagged Mine. Any final thoughts on this, Joe? Uh, I would say, you know, this isn't a slam dunk. I was hoping that this would be a little more satisfying, but I didn't mind watching it. And I think, you know, it's still June. If people are looking to cram some queer horror content into their lives, this is fine. Like, and it's short, right? So you could watch this, get in and out. And I think the acting of these two main leads is what sells it. So... All in all, I would gently recommend this. Yeah, I I would agree, too. I think this movie is fine. Um, But again, I'm always happy to have more queer horror that... I mean, we didn't mention this, but this is a queer horror film where the queerness isn't really like... Oh, yeah. The movie's not about queerness. I mean, even though queerness is front and center, it's not like about them being queer. Absolutely. Like, in some ways, you almost feel like you could switch the the genders of these characters, and it could just as easily work with a man and a woman or two men or like any combination of characters. And I, I will say I'm thank you for bringing this up as we close out. I'm really happy that that is the case because in some ways this is the queer representation I like to see. It just happens to be two women. It doesn't have anything like Alex is not off her rocker because she is a lesbian. She just happens to be a lesbian who is off her rocker. (laughs) That's a great distinction. Yes, uh, I'm in full agreement with that. But yeah, y'all check this out. I mean, again, breezy 77 minutes. uh, So you could do a lot worse. There you go. There you go. But uh, all right. Well, I guess on that note, we can cross out Jagged Mind. Indeed, and cross out microqueers. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. 